Hi, everybody, and good morning. Welcome to That's Life, the show where we still think we are getting out of MetLife Stadium, but we know it's actually Thursday. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I promised you that our halftime show would be better than your halftime show, and I didn't lie. We have gotten a lot of great responses to our kosher halftime show. If you did not see it, it is still up on our website. Um, it was pretty, it was pretty great. I gotta be honest with you, it was pretty great. It was, as I explained last week, it was a huge team effort. A huge team effort. And as always, I am proud to be part of this team. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m., right after Charlie and right before Nahum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief. That the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine, and my God, is that true this week. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami. What's up, Avram? How are you? I am well. I saw that you liked my picture, by the way, of the uh, dragons and drum circle right outside our window the other day for the Chinese New Year. I was here last year when it was happening. I looked out the window. It was at nighttime. They had this dragon head that had extended yeah. a bunch, and it was uh-huh. all going on. I think I was on the phone with ZK or something at the time when it was going on, and there's noise from outside. I was like, we're doing a live show soon, and I can hear this coming <laughs> through the window. What are we going to do? Yeah, well, meanwhile, I thought we were being attacked. I was in here by myself, and um, obviously it was already dark outside, and all of a sudden I hear banging, and I was, I'm like, what in God's name is going on? I look outside, and literally outside our window here on the second floor was a huge dragon head, and I'm like, you know what? It's Manhattan, and um, there's a Chinese takeout place right next door to the bike store down here, so I went outside, took a couple of shots, and they were performing in front of my car. Like, I couldn't get to my car without walking through the dragons. I'm like, excuse me. I, you know, I just paved my way through, but... um, What about going to the other side of your car? There was all that ice. Oh. <laughs> Hello, I wasn't trying to be deliberately a pain in the neck, but um, but hey, sometimes it works out that way. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Daniel Aaron does. You can friend me on Facebook, send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachamsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. I'm not being rude, just being honest. Also, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, nachamsegelnet. And you can follow me as well, Miriam L. Wallach. Today is a packed show, and I think our first guest is already, no, our first guest is not on hold. What happened to that? Oh, all right, that's gone. So then good, we have a minute, because I was afraid we were going to have to skip the fortune cookie, um, which would have been a shame. Actually, somebody said to me on the street the other day, totally randomly, hey, what does the fortune cookie say today? And I'm like, okay, I don't know. It's not Thursday. I only do this on Thursday. Do people think I open up fortune cookies randomly every single day? No, then it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a shtick. All right, one second. Ooh, this one made a mess. Um, okay, if you bite the hand that feeds you, it won't taste as good as the food you were fed. Okay, all right, all right. If you bite the hand that feeds you, it won't taste as good as the food you were fed. I don't know. The, the thing I like the most about this is food you were fed, food you were fed, food you were fed. I want to say that ten times. <laughs> Anyway, uh, national holidays. Today is Canadian Maple Syrup Day. Uh, yeah, Canadian Maple Syrup Day. That's a shout-out to my friend Josh. Uh, it is also Lame Duck Day. I'm not exactly sure um, what that's about. It's also National Haiku Writing Month. Avram, are you a haiku fan? I'm not as familiar with that as I should be. I mean, I've seen them, but I don't know the rules of what a oh, haiku really? has to be. Yeah. It's a 17. Oh, well, we can do this right now. <laughs> It's a 17-syllable poem 
made up of three lines, and the breakdown of the lines is five, seven, five. So you have to do that. It is a very structured Japanese poem. And by the way, that was me using my entire master's degree in English just right now.、Um, but hey, that's sometimes the way we roll. It's also Grapefruit Month. You know who doesn't like grapefruits? Nahum Siegel.、Um, it's also International Boost Self Esteem Month. So if you need to give yourself a self five or a high five or tell yourself, you know, you did a good job today, you can do that. And today is also North American Inclusion Month. Naim, as it is known. And as a result of that, Batya Jacobs from Yachad will be on with us in a little bit towards the middle of the show. But right now, we have time to, we are ready for our first guest. I'm actually happy he just called in because Rabbi Elimelech Goldberg is the founder and international director of Kids Kinking, Kicking Cancer. He is also a clinical assistant professor of the Department of Pediatrics at Wayne State University. But I have a feeling that one job over the other probably makes him smile a lot more. Good morning, Rabbi Goldberg. Good morning. How are you? Baruch Hashem, I am doing well. I'm so happy we were able to coordinate schedules. <laughs> I'm so honored to be on your show. No, it's absolutely a pleasure.、Uh, KidsKickingCancer.org、um, is where you can find Rabbi Goldberg's wonderful, wonderful organization.、Um, the, the tagline is Power, Peace, and Purpose. Tell everybody what you do. So, I teach karate to kids with cancer, and we've now gone into working with children in all different types of pain because the children believe in the power of the martial arts, and really what we're demonstrating to them is the light of their own nishamot. You know, the, the word for breath in Hebrew, nishima, is the very same as the word nishama,、mm. which means soul. And teaching children that they could reach inside of themselves. And actually giving them a sense of meaning for what they're going through. The tagline that you just read, power, peace, purpose. Well, the, the first two words is the, the concept of bringing in this light, this power. And it doesn't matter if you call it Shiki, Tanagadalam, Nishama.、Um, the name is irrelevant, but allowing the children to feel this light and to push out the Pain, fear, and anger of disease is getting to that place of peace. But if you ask the thousands of kids that we work with, what's your purpose? They all yell out to teach the world.、Mm. The, the children from right off the bat become teachers of how to show this to their parents, the doctors. And then we actually, you know, we realize that if we can teach children, we can teach adults how to do this. We'll just talk slower. <laughs> so we, we, bring, we bring the kids to companies. We bring the kids. Wow. Really across the globe to demonstrate how to use the breath to push out stress and pain and fear and anger in our lives. Tell me where the inspiration came for this because I imagine that at first glance somebody might say you're teaching karate to kids with cancer. Probably doesn't make sense. <laughs> sure.、Um, the first teacher who really showed me the power of children with cancer. Was our, our first daughter, Allah Shalom.、Um, this was at a time when cancer was not such a treatable disease.、Uh, this goes back 33 years ago. I was a Rebbe for Yeshiva University in Los Angeles at the time. And our child, our first daughter, was diagnosed with、uh, ALL. Today, ALL is a very treatable, leukemia is a very treatable pediatric illness. But it wasn't the same in, in the old days. And our little girl at age two at UCLA was telling the doctors in the bone marrow transplant, no medication today, please.、Oh. 
And she was going into the clinics and telling the five-year-old children, don't cry. Wow. So she wow. was the absolute first mentor for me of this amazing inner soul and energy that, that can tr transcend anything. About uh, seven years after she passed away, there was a gentleman, Rabbi Simcha Scholar, who's a dear friend, <laughs> who was starting the one of the first pediatric oncology camps in the country, Camp Simcha from the Chai Lifeline. And he was going around Detroit, where I was a rabbi of the Young Israel of Southfield, and he was trying to raise money to, to, to do the camp. I thought it was such a great idea. I knew what the kids go through, what the parents go through. So I, I wanted to get involved and introduce them to the right people, etc. And a scholar sits down in my office and he says, no, no, I, I want you to direct the camp. Wow. So I looked at him. I said, you, you, you've got to be a lunatic. You know, every <laughs> little girl be our daughter. There's no way my wife and I can do this. And uh, he's a great salesman, and it takes five minutes to make the children laugh. So we ran Camp Simcha for 12 years. Wow. And it was at Camp Simcha that I came across this reality that I now lecture about in the, the world of um, medical students and uh, pediatricians. If, if an adult or, um, would scream in the middle of a painful procedure, usually the docs will stop the procedure and figure out a better way to do things. Very often when children scream out in pain, they just hold them down tighter. Oh. Yeah. So I came across this five-year-old child, the boy from Texas, and he's having his port underneath his skin access for his chemotherapy. And two nurses are holding him down. One nurse has a very large syringe to plunge into the port of his chest. And because the boy is afraid, the pain is going to be extraordinary. And he's being held down, and he's screaming. And the nurses are great, and they tried to distract him, but nothing was working. And obviously, the chemo was not negotiable. Right. So I walk in on the scene. It was so counterintuitive. And I hear this boy screaming. I just, I just blurted out, wait. And they all stopped. Even the, even the kids stopped screaming. And they all looked at me. And I, I didn't have a clue what I was going to say next. <laughs> and, and, and I just said, give me five minutes with this child. Well, the, the nurses were happy to leave, and the little boy looked at me like I was the governor. I just stayed his execution. <laughs> and, and, I, and I went up to this little boy, and I said, you know, I'm a black belt, which doesn't mean much. But to a little kid, it's a wow. I said, do you want me to teach you some karate? And he almost jumped off the table. Wow. And I explained to him, in the martial arts, you learn that pain is a message that you don't have to listen to. You can breathe in this amazing chi, this energy, this light, and push out the pain. Watch me. And 10 minutes later, we're doing a very simple Tai Chi breathing technique. And 25 minutes later, they pulled out the needle, and he looked up at the nurse, and he said, did you do it yet? Wow. And that's when Kids Kicking Cancer was born. I want you to know, I just wrote down the line, pain is a message you don't have to listen to. Because, mm -hmm. And in, I am totally tweeting that out in your name as soon as this show is over. That is an, unbe it's an unbelievable quote, and it's true. I mean, we can... And whether it's um, whether it's the stress or the adrenaline or or whatever, it's I, I guess you could say mind over matter. The you know in the old days we used to think that there is a pain center in the brain. Today, because of scans, we're able to evidence that it's totally not true. If a person is afraid, if they're anxious, if there's no purpose to their pain, the pain will go up exponentially, and you could see it in different parts of the. Of, of the different lobes and areas of the brain. So if you can convince a person 
that what they're going through really has a purpose to it and that ultimately they have the ability to control it, the physiology of, not just the psychology, the physiology of that pain will be significantly different than if a person is just lying there and is victimized by their situation. Wow, that is that is a, a an empowering statement. It, it really is. And that's what you've been able to convey to these kids? That's what I have conveyed to them, and more than that, they have taught me and so many others. And we have kids as young as three years old. We train them with those little colored pinwheels, <laughs> how to use the breath. Okay. And they'll bring the pinwheels to clinic when they first start. And these little children, who normally would have to be held down, are totally in control, focused, and they become teachers. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I, I um, as going through your site, having the taking the opportunity to go through your site, kidskickingcancer.org, I was shocked and and stunned by the number of places where you have to where you have branched out, whether it's Michigan, New York, L.A., Gainesville, Florida, Canada, Italy, and Israel. Well, Italy is a probably the cutest place because um, we were teaching a group of Pfizer executives in New York with some of our kids from the Sloan Kettering program. And um, we got a call three days later from Pfizer in Italy. Would I come to Rome to teach Pfizer there how to do the, we have a trademark breath break, B-R-A-K-E, how to use the breath to control stress. So I went to Italy, and we Pfizer got behind the program in Italy. Wow. And we started at the Vatican Children's Hospital. Mm. I really thought it was cool that an Orthodox rabbi exactly. needed permission from the Pope's office <laughs> to teach an Eastern meditative technique to Vatican children. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And since then, we have spread out from from Rome to Pisa to Milan and Florence because uh, you know Pfizer is backing us there. Unfortunately, the the people in Italy tried to introduce us to Pfizer Europe to build up support for our program in different locations. And um, it was the same week that the Lipitor went off mark in Pfizer, and so they announced $3 billion in cutbacks. You know, a billion here, a billion there. After a while, it's real money. Right. <laughs> and so the, they, it was, we didn't get any further with Pfizer than Italy, and, and now we're trying to build programs every place because – it works, and it's so simple to teach children how to use this power to take control of their lives. Rabbi Ali Melech Goldberg is the founder and international director of Kids Kicking Cancer. You can find them at Kids Kicking Cancer, all one word. That's kidskickingcancer.org. You've received some uh, incredible press, incredible support. You've been on Good Morning America. How is, how is the outpouring or the support from the international community affected you? Well, you know, we, we don't have a PR person. There's nobody who sends these stories out. And as you said, and we've been in People magazine and on the early show, et cetera, et cetera, because what the children do is, is so unique that it, it becomes pretty, you know, noteworthy. And people are sitting up and taking notice of the power of these children. Um, because of Good Morning America, there was a gentleman, Kevin DuPont, who called us from the Boston Globe. And... They, um, he wrote this beautiful column in the Boston Globe about kids kicking cancer. Wow. It cost us 
It's about a 10-month process. It costs us about $50,000 in a new region to start a program, mm. which is pretty cheap compared to the amount of kids that we're able to help. And um, Kevin wrote in the Boston Globe, okay, Boston, who's going to do this? Wow. And all of a sudden, two people called us and said, we'll write the check. We'll underwrite it. And um, the Jewish Community Center in Boston called us as well as a number of people who are involved in the martial arts, the medical community. And so, but I told all of them, I said, we won't, we won't take the check, at least not now. The key is to get people who will become leaders in the program, people who will help us find the entrees into the medical community, the martial arts community, continue to manage so that in every single region, we have a sustainable program. So it was a put and up or it, it was a put up or shut up moment for uh, for Boston, Boston. And, and, and they, they did. put up. They came through when a, and so next month I'm going to Boston to speak and to develop a committee that will maintain the program there. And at the same time, we're actually beginning next month to train martial arts therapists that when we certify how to use our very special techniques. Kola vote to you, Rabbi, Rabbi um, Goldberg. Do, do these kids know that that they're unique? You know, the, the children are so different from their friends when they're diagnosed with a pediatric disease like cancer or some other illnesses. And every kid wants to be like everybody else. So what we're able to teach them is this is unique, but it's powerful. And you're not like your friends. No, you've been given an adversarial situation, and rather than being defeated by that situation, You've become a victor, not a victim, and you can use that power to teach the world. You know, there's my favorite expression. It's actually hanging in the Dearborn Islamic Center, which is the largest (laughs) mosque in North America. Okay. And the expression reads, a perfect God created an imperfect world perfectly. Mm. And then in the mosque, they wrote Rabbi Eli Malik Goldberg, founder of Kids Kicking Cancer. Wow. Because you know, this is becoming this is this is beginning to sound not to make not to make a joke, but the uh, the confluence of events for you is beginning to sound like a bad joke. The Pope, a rabbi, and an imam were all stepping into. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems to me, and I, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, it just seems to me that this is such a besides the fact that it is such an incredible program and it's empowering for kids and it teaches incredible lessons. It is a bridge builder throughout cultures. It's about acceptance. It's about tolerance. It's about empowerment. And it's also about a common denominator because cancer doesn't discriminate. That's so correct. And what we're teaching the children and the energy and actually visualizes is light. The ability to feel that light, to feel that warmth, and ultimately, I believe that our responsibility, as it says in Isaiah, is to be a light for the nations. And, and nobody demonstrates that better than little children going through tough stuff. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, you, there, it also mentions on the website that you work with the families of the children as well. Correct. You know, cancer, in particular, all pediatric illnesses become family syndromes. So to elevate the children is not just themselves, the siblings who are often resentful of the amount of attention that their brother or sister who's sick gets, and then sometimes they, you know, wish them harm, as kids do and think that, you know, silly things and jealousies. And it's so draining for moms and dads that we involve 
every member of the family. It becomes a part of a process of connecting the family to themselves and to their own light in a way that we all go through this together. And, you know, when children don't heal, and thank God most of our kids do today, but when children don't heal, we award the child a black belt, often in front of hundreds of their family and friends. Wow. And on the black belt, we embroider the child's name, and on the other side, the words master teacher. Because mm. we've evidenced to the child that there's been a purpose in their lives. And I've had literally, children get up, five-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old children get up in front of family and friends, and sometimes they're, they're priests or they're imams, and express that the reason they're getting their black belt is because they've defeated their cancer, because they're not afraid. They're not angry. If anything, they're closer to God and the people around them. That's incredible. And for us to be able to help children make that message, you know, I, I view that as an opportunity to hopefully make a kiddush Hashem. Well, I would say undoubtedly that if you're um, if you're wondering if you made a kiddush Hashem, I can give you a gold star and a check in that box. Rabbi Elimelech Goldberg, founder and international director of Kids Kicking Cancer. Um, again, call a kavod to you, everyone. Like every good organization, nonprofit organization that is that is destined hopefully for greatness and depends on community support, please give what you can. You can go to kidskickingcancer.org. There is a donate now box on the left hand side of the page. At least it is on my iPad, and um, I highly encourage everyone to um, to be a part of this organization. One one last question, and this sure. is I, I hope I hope with a minute left that we can really get to this. But I imagine that just the way the same way you celebrate each black belt and each um, each great moment together as a team, as a family, you also share each other's pain when things do not go the way we hope. No, I always tell our, our tough martial artists that if you stop being able to cry, then you quit. Wow. But at the same time, people ask me all the time, how do you, how do you deal with children dying? And it's, the answer is easy, we cry. But the greatest tragedy is not the death of a person who in two years or five years and had such an impact on this world. To me, it's much more tragic to be with a 95-year-old person who doesn't have a clue why they lived. Wow. Well, Rabbi Goldberg, if you were trying to bring me to tears on the air, on live radio, you did a fantastic well, I job. I apologize. No, don't be. You're not the first man to make me cry. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, anyway, Rabbi Goldberg, again, kidskickingcancer.org. Please, um, I hope you'll check back with us. I can't wait to hear what happens in Boston. And again, call a vote to you uh, and the organization for your great work. Thank you so much. You're listening to That's Life here at, Nahum, at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, Batya Jacobs is on hold. Actually, she's on the line now. She is the Director of International Support Services for Yahad and the co-director of Naim, the North American Inclusion Month. She joins us on the phone after finishing her first half marathon. Good morning, Batya. Good morning, Miriam. How are you? I am well. How are those legs? Um, they are holding up better than I imagined they could. <laughs> How you know, as a as a half marathon runner, running a full marathon is not something I'm at all interested in. Frankly, I think after 15 miles, I'd just be bored. Uh, I told people I'm only half crazy. No, 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 no. You are so not half crazy, and I know what that's like. But um. How did after your first half, you don't concentrate on time; you just concentrate on the finishing. Honestly, after the first ten miles, um, there was a young man who's a Yachad member, and I saw he was starting to struggle a bit. And the last three miles, we literally walked arm in arm together. Wow! The end. 
Good for you. Good for you. Because it's not, it wasn't about the time. It wasn't about the race. It wasn't about the time. It was about trying your best, striving to do even better than you can imagine. And that's really the message that Yachad gives our members every single day. Well, trust me, the next time you run and it's by yourself, it'll be all about the time. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, no, see, I, well, we're not really going to sit here and talk about running. We can do that off the air because I do want to make sure that we spend time talking about Naeem. What's interesting to me about Naeem, and again, that stands for North American Inclusion Month, it is a, it is not a, a Yachadism. It is a nationally celebrated month. That is, um, that is really like registered with national celebrations the same way I announce national holidays and national months every single show. This listed up there with that. And one of the things that you wrote to me was that, which I, which I think is incredible, is that Naeem is an attitude all year round, not just one month. Correct. We look at Naeem as February is really the reminder month for the entire year. It's an attitude. It's not February 28th or 29th, we stop including people. This should be the idea the entire year. But as we know, we always need that little bit of reminder, and that's what Naeem is about. This is recognized um, nationally. It's, rec- it's been um, recognized by the U.S. Congress as being the North American Inclusion Month. How, they didn't even realize when they tipped off on the word Naeem how appropriate it would be for the Jewish community. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one way the Jewish community actually lucked out on something. Um, but explain to me the, the juxtaposition. I mean, it, it's, um, it's a, it's, it works out well that the Miami half marathon and Yachad running in the half marathon is basically like your kickoff for Naeem. Absolutely. The marathon is, represents, um, individuals from around the country who are dedicated to supporting Yachad, to supporting our Yachad members. And really, we're, like I said, walking hand-in-hand hand with our Yachad members. Um, we have high school peers who are coming in from around the country who are walking with us. And everybody is raising um, money to help promote Yachad events, to help increase the amount of events that we have through the year. And what kind of programs, tell me how this month is differing for Yachad than every other month. So um, we started off, as you know, with the marathon. Our next, we have an inclusive job fair with the Orthodox Union this afternoon, um, which is our Yachad members, our way members going with the typical community members looking for jobs and meeting with um, employees. Where is that being held? Where is that being held, by the it way? It is being held in Lower Manhattan. Um, I don't have the actual address. I could probably get I'm it I'm sure Ellie Hagler will text it to yeah. me before the interview is over. He's great that way. Okay, so we have the job fair, which, by the way, I think is a phenomenal program. And every time oh. I, w- I walk into a store, a retail store, or an organization, or whatever it is, who are employing people with special needs and realizing that there is an opportunity for their business to include somebody with special needs, I almost, it's going to sound crazy, I almost want to buy more just in support. Absolutely. These are people who are saying everybody is the same. Everybody has abilities. Um, no matter what our challenges are, you know what, we all have challenges. Some are more recognizable than others. But we all have abilities, and we need to focus on those abilities. The job fair is taking place at the Jewish Museum on... 36 Battery Place in downtown Manhattan. Ah, the Museum of Tolerance? 
The Museum of Tongues, exactly. Got it. Okay, because the Jewish Museum is on 92nd. I don't want anybody to be confused. This is the Jewish Museum, the Jewish Heritage Museum. You got it. Museum of Tolerance. Right. And it starts from 3 to 6 today. Fantastic. So tell me what else is going on. Um, We have a special education conference next Sunday and Monday where we have 200 teachers from close to 70 schools coming from across the United States and Canada um, despite the weather forecast. <laughs> in spite of. In right. spite. Right. And we, are, um, we have speakers who specialize in making the classroom ex- environment um, accepting to every student that's there, helping teachers modify curriculum, modify testing, modify teaching style, um, room acoustics, so that every student can learn to their best potential. Um, so we're very excited about that. We, in addition, we have a couple of things that we're concentrating on. We started um, a new project this year. We're going to be doing monthly um, email webinar blasts, five, ten-minute blasts of what, how you can become more inclusive. How do, can you make your synagogue more inclusive? How can you make your youth group more inclusive? How can you make your family dynamics more inclusive for people with special needs. Uh, so, do you see, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you see progress in this realm? Absolutely. When I started working at Yachat 15 years ago, there were a handful of students um, with special needs in Jewish day schools and yeshivot across the country, a handful, maybe, maybe 10. Um, and most of them, by the way, were in Brooklyn. Now virtually every school in the U.S. has a child, a number of children who have special needs. Um, We see synagogues who never um, would call a person with special needs up to the Torah for an aliyah, who are regularly doing that, Mm. who have um, davening buddies so that people who are having trouble following the tefillah have somebody sitting next to them helping them. Um, We have camps who are including more and more of our special needs populations when I started here, we had, I think, four camps. We have 23 this year. Wow, that's Summer incredible. Program. Right. We have jobs that are um, just blossoming where it's such a difficult environment economically for anyone to get a job, and more and more employees are recognizing that we need to be employing everyone no matter if they have abilities and disabilities. You know, we talk about we talk about the changing of the mindset. We talk about re-educating the public. I find that even people, contemporaries, people in their 30s and, and 40s, et cetera, and, and even older, still use a word which I, uh, which will not come out of my mouth. Um, and, you know, it begins with an R and it ends with a D. And I can't even bring myself to say it on the air just to make a point because it is such a hateful and hurtful word. But what I notice is that as much as people from those age brackets, which includes my age bracket, use that word, my kids do not. That is not as as much as I can't stand the word stupid or idiot or whatever. My kids don't use that word. And to me, that is a really good sign. If you look on YouTube at under Say the word to to end the word. Mm. A number of our Yachad peer groups, the high school students, typical learners, made vi- have been making videos specifically to combat the usage of that word. 
Um, we feel very strongly that that is a derogatory term, that we don't want people using it. Um, and our peer groups, not the Yachad members, not their families, those typical high schoolers who are out in the day schools all over the country, are coming together and saying, we need to make a campaign against this. And that's what they're doing. It is, it, it, it's amazing to me. And when I correct people, when I call people on it, and yes, I am, I, I would... I would argue, especially in light of a conversation that I had with somebody yesterday, that maybe my social sensitivity or my social progressiveness is probably a little bit out of control. I hear that. Maybe I'm a little bit too PC at times. Rummy is smiling and nodding. Okay, fine. <laughs> I buy that. I, I will totally own that. But I'm not wrong on this one, and neither is anyone else who wants to put a stop to the word. You're 100% not wrong. And the more people who recognize this, the less that word's going to be used. I, I, I very much hope so. I very much hope so because it's also contraindicative to have adults in shul fostering programs that teach inclusion and teach acceptance and using that word. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. I mean, how many mixed messages can we send our kids? There's also something, by the way, about um, that, that I had heard about that you guys are doing this month, uh, these halacha classes. Uh, for the deaf and the hard of hearing, which include Taras and Mishpacha. How is that working? So we have um, different rabbinical authorities who, uh, Rabbi Shachatovitz from Baltimore, from near Yisrael, who is really the posek on deafness, is doing a couple of halacha classes which will be interpreted into American Sign Language. Wow. And we have in Brooklyn um, a Rebetzin who has agreed to do a series of Taharatz Mishpacha classes for our deaf women. Um, you don't have to live in Brooklyn. You can live anywhere you want if you can come. <laughs> um, and that will also be interpreted into American Sign Language. We have had a tremendous increase of deaf and hard of hearing women using the mikvah who never did. Wow. Um, four years ago, they weren't going. They didn't know what they were supposed to even do. And we've started this and this month we have really um, jumped on it and said we need this is such an integral part of Judaism and of our halachic life that they must be included in this and that's why we put it as part of Na'im. Batya Jacob is the Director of International Support Services for Yachan and the Co-Director of Na'im, the North American Inclusion Month. Batya, there was a tremendous amount of excitement with the Super Bowl for lots of different reasons but including and I would say on many levels, most importantly, Derek Coleman, who is a, a Seattle Seahawks fullback, who is yes. deaf, yes. Um, who played in the Super Bowl. Tell me what kind of inspiration that lent for um, everyone at Yachad. To see a person who has, who has disabilities, who's grown up with any sort of disability, whether it's visual or hearing or developmental or emotional, be accepted, being part of the team, literally, um, to see the teammates and the coaches modify what they're doing to make sure that he is an integral part of the team is an incredible inspiration. There's a deaf baseball player. His name is Curtis Pride. He at one point played for the Yankees amongst other teams. When I have a son who's hard of hearing, when I've taken my son to those games and he sees a person just like him being successful mm. in in an area that we think of as a pinnacle of American society, um, to see a deaf actor or actress get 
win an Oscar, right. as Marlon Maitley, Maitley did. Right. That's an incredible inspiration that we can do whatever we want to do. I was um, fortunate enough because I am not a Broncos fan. I was fortunate enough to be at the Super Bowl. And um, and sitting there, um, I tweeted out actually the next day that the best moment for me of the Super Bowl was the national anthem. It was incredibly, incredibly moving. Um, but But the moment that I really noticed the woman who was signing the national anthem on the field she wasn't doing it just to get the words out. There was almost like a tremendous amount of movement and emotion, and uh, and I don't mean this I don't mean this sarcastically and drama, um, and inspiration in her in her movement and the way she was signing. That uh, she was up on the um, she was up on the screens the same way um, Renee Fleming was and the same way that the flag was and and the shot of her was on the entire time, and it truly spoke to me as not only a beautiful moment from a patriotic sense, but also a beautiful moment that this should be the norm. Absolutely. We have, um, we have a couple of individuals who have worked with Yankee Stadium, with MetLife Stadium, with the Barclays Center, to help make those stadiums more inclusive, to make sure the ramps are really going to work for people with wheelchairs, to make sure that people with hearing impairments have um, access to what's going on, especially in emergency situations, to make sure things are lighted correctly for people who have visual impairments. Um, we've actually worked hand-in-hand with them to make those stadiums more inclusive. It's an incredible thing. And the, they've come to us. They've said, we need to make it inclusive. Mm. That's a statement to the American society of how far we've gotten um, and how important inclusion is to everybody in the U.S. Do you still get pushback, by the way? Sure, um, we do, but I think it's less and less. I think we are getting more and more acceptance um, and less and less people saying stop. Hmm. We, we have more and more families who are not afraid to say my child has a disability, whereas in the past, especially in the Orthodox community, right. um, it was kind of shied away from. Right. Now we have people who are really standing up and saying this is part of our family and they are integral useful, valuable members of our family, and that's really the message we want everybody to understand. That's, um, yeah, I would imagine that's a very important message, especially because um, having a child or a family member with a disability is not uncommon anymore. It's not, it, it is much more, um, I don't want to say the word prevalent, it's much more seen, so to speak. Right, right. You know, there was a time where people wouldn't talk about um, their their children with disabilities when they were trying to make shidduchim for their other children. Right. And now it's not like that. And now families aren't afraid to marry into families with people with, with challenges. Thank God That's for that. That's really, really important. Thank God we've come so far um, in with our neshamas as a Jewish community. Mm. You know, it's it's not just, Let's give them a job, but let's really accept them as part of our family. Right. You know, Baya, we only have a couple of minutes left, and while I'm afraid to talk about Purim, because that means it's really happening. <laughs> that and, means Pesach's right behind you. You know what? <laughs> I'm, I love Pesach, and I know people think I'm crazy, um, and people think I'm crazy, but um, 
Pesach is my favorite time of year because it's a complete inclusion holiday. There is there's nothing that you're not doing for eight days plus the days before and the days after that doesn't revolve around this holiday. And so I absolutely love it. Um, but Purim is a holiday that uh, I find to be a tremendous challenge because it's a lot of work for 24 hours. But one thing that I look forward to, and I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, is the um, the translation. I don't even know if that's the right word, but the work that, that Yaha does in terms of the um, the Purim cards and um, and even on Hanukkah where you have the, the sign language written out, so to speak, so that somebody can sign the brachot or you can understand that. I love these kinds of integrative um, assistive devices, so to speak, that I can show my kids at home because while I don't have a child with those disabilities, this is something that is obviously important to bring to light. So you should know we also have a supplement to the Haggadah for Pesach. I did so not know that. In, in American Sign Language, um, things like the Manishtana and the Brachot and Kiddush, and, um, so that our deaf members are part of their family's um, seders. But Purim is a very exciting time for us. A, few, a number of years ago, we put together a PowerPoint presentation um, where we project the Megillah onto a screen, English and Hebrew, side by side. Um, somebody in the congregation follows the Megillah reading on the laptop, so the pointer becomes like the dancing ball on the screen. Okay. And um, we've done it in a way where the psukim, the sentences that are repeated, like Ishuhu di Hayabishushan, are in a different color. And every time you get to Haman's name, you click it, and there's a visual graphic that depicts the stamping out of Haman. Wow. Um, this year we actually updated everything. It's a little bit, it's an easier program to use. Um, it's good for Mac and PC. Hmm. Um, last year we had it in over 300 shuls. We've actually had it um, a year ago on an undisclosed army base in Afghanistan. Really? That was used because they contacted us. They said, we don't have people with disabilities, but we have people who don't know any Hebrew, and we want them to be part of the Purim reading. So they used it. Um, we are hoping to have it literally in every shul in America. We're not charging for it. It's free of charge. Um, they just need to contact us, and we will send them out a disc. Well, that is, that's absolutely incredible. And speaking of contact, Batya, how can people reach you and people at Yachad for more information? So my email is Batya, J, B-A-T-Y-A-J, at OU.org. Our website is www.yachad.org. And the best phone number to call is 212-613-8229, 212-613-8229, and they can forward you to who you're looking for. Excellent. Batya Jacob from Yachad, thank you so much, and uh, good luck this month. I hope it's as big of a success as I think it will be. Thank you so much, Miriam. Absolutely my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And my third and final guest comes to me from Jerusalem. Last time I left Jerusalem, there was a lot of snow on the ground. I come to New York, there's a lot of snow on the ground. But Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth is the director of the Party Center for Judaism and Conflict Resolution. He's also a faculty member at the Party Institute of Jewish Studies. And one thing I like about your video, uh, Rabbi, is that it, you talk about, um, does anyone know what happened on the 9th of Adar? So before <laughs> we even talk about your program... What happened on the 9th of Adar? 
It's a great question, and there's been so <laughs> many conflicts over what happened on this day. We're calling International Jewish Day of Conflict Resolution. Um, so what seemed to have happened is that Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, the two great ideological schools of thought 2,000 years ago, got together and had a discussion over 18 legal matters that that discussion turned quite destructive according to certain texts, specifically the Jerusalem Talmud, and it led ultimately to a violent um, conflict with, uh, according to some sources, saying that 3,000 students died on that day. Mm. So the day was marked as a fast day. It's in the Shulchan Aruch. It's in every Jewish rabbinic uh, book that mentions fast, but it's never been commemorated as such. And so now we are turning the negative into a positive, which I love, bringing the light into the dark, and we are turning it into a Jewish day of constructive conflict. It is the ninth day, it is nine Adar, the number nine, nineadar.org. And tell me what your goal is and how people can participate, because one of the things I love the most is that there are so many ways to participate in this one day. Great. So, I mean, it was really important for us in trying to creating a new Jewish holiday or recreating a day that was sort of forgotten to make it as accessible to individuals and organizations very much across religious and political divides um, that they could find ways to create. So what we did this year is we um, created 18 different ways commemorating the 18 matters over which they fought that people can participate. And these range anything from fasting from destructive speech thinking about how we're talking to people and, and uh, about people, um, even foods. We have our recipes that we put up of constructive conflict cookies and mahlukit muffins. Come on, Rabbi. Uh, it wouldn't be a Jewish holiday without some food. Exactly. exactly. I mean, and even if people want to fast, <laughs> you've got to break it at some point. Right. So we have to have our traditional foods. But we also have practitioners, conflict resolution uh, specialists, mediators that gave in their tips for how to engage others in a constructive way. Um, to be a third party in a conflict within a family or in the workplace. And, of course, a lot of Divrei Torah and, and sources that we can learn more about Machloket and about the theories of how we can engage more constructively in conflict. So, actually, the 9th of Adar falls out this year, this Monday, February 9th, um, through which, and on that Sunday. day... Oh, sorry, Sunday, my bad. I apologize, Sunday. Okay. Um, and there are all these different ways that people can participate but we are in, we are advising people or even suggesting to people like you don't have to wait till Sunday to do something that helps resolve conflict in a peaceful and productive manner. Absolutely, there's so many people that are cooking uh, foods for Shabbat that are um, with with this in mind in terms of cooking sweets and sours or the discussions that they're going to have at the Shabbat table. There are a lot of rabbis speaking about it in shuls uh, over Shabbat. So absolutely, there are a lot of things already happening, events around Israel as well, in preparation for Sunday. And 71 organizations, such as schools and shuls and, and Jewish organizations, are also participating in at least one of these 18 actions. Exactly. It was important for us, again, to keep on working with the symbolic language, the 71 right. commemorating the Sanhedrin, where the whole conflict began. And yes, there are organizations ranging from mediation centers around Israel to schools, in America and Israel, um, yeshivot, all sorts of different types of programs. But also a lot of individuals are just signing up, uh, signing up to greet people in a certain way, to study a little bit of text. So it's very much able to hit both the organization, the school, 
or the shul, or also just an individual sitting around with their family and thinking about how they want to bring that into their the culture of their family and their personal life. Have you invited Oxfam to participate? I'm just kidding. Um, let me ask you a different question. Let me ask you a different question. There is there is an importance, and I'm not saying this to be funny. There's an importance in discourse in Judaism. So we're not saying that discourse doesn't have its place. We're saying that discourse with positive resolution is not only the goal for nine days out of the year, but should be the way that we conduct ourselves normally. A hundred percent. I mean, first of all, I always like to joke that the conflict resolution people, we're really the ones behind the conflict because otherwise we go out of business. So we are definitely (laughs) in favor of conflict. But in all seriousness, constructive conflict theory is the core of democracy. John Stuart Mill and Adams and others always knew that the healthy clash of ideas is what allows for a sustainable, healthy society. And that's exactly what we find in our rabbinic text about what what machlok at the Shem Shemayim, what healthy conflict is, it's about listening, respecting, but really having a sharp clash of ideas that you get to better results. So we absolutely are encouraging people to not just be, you know, nice or avoid conflict, but really to engaging it and, and, and just doing it in a way that's constructive. We like to joke that if we called it International Jewish Peace Day, there would be three people who would show up and they would probably have conflict. <laughs> or International Jewish Harmony Day. That just wouldn't cut it. But International Constructive Conflict Day, it just seems right for, for Jews and, and for our culture. And it seems like the one thing that divides Jews across all different divides is that we all like our conflicts. Right. And, you know, the truth of the matter is is that when, when, when I... Well, and when I was engaged and before we got married, as, as people give lots of young couples and young bride advice, one of the pieces of advice I got was to learn how to fight well. And it wasn't mm-hmm. a learn how to beat, you know, my spouse at a fight. It was learn how to fight respectfully and learn how to walk away from it and learn how to respect each other at the end of the day. Right. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a very important skill, and it's something that we often lose both personally um, in our interpersonal relationships and also collectively as a people. Right, and it's so much in our values. It's in every single daf of Gemara. It's, in every, it's such a part of our culture. It's just a question of how we sometimes translate our, view, our values into actual practice. And that's why the combination of the techniques of conflict resolution with the, the text has been really an important component in, in, in making these, these theories and practices part of our, our identity and culture in this day. 9adar.org. Again, that's the number 9adar.org. There are 18 different ways that you can participate in this movement, in this day of quote-unquote celebration, commemoration, exactly which word, I'm not exactly sure, but, um, but both work. There's also an, a, a pledge that somebody can take, correct? Correct. This was important in just in terms of having people sign in on a very simple statement of being mindful of themselves as a Rudef Shalom, as a pursuer piece, attempting to try to understand conflicting needs and perspectives and trying to balance them in a constructive way. We're not even talking about resolution here. We're just talking about can we balance the conflicting needs and values that we're constantly engaging with in a more mindful and constructive way. So, I'm sorry, continue. No, so I think it's, a, it's just a great starting point that if we can all sign in on something so basic like that and commemorate a day once a year of Nine Adar, it can hopefully be the beginning of ensuring that these values and practices stay core to, 
to our values and um, and uniting us as a people around our, our differences. Um, Rabbi Roth, we only have a couple of minutes left, but one thing I want to make sure that people understand is that it's not just about the participation, it's also about the feedback. You encourage people to share what they have planned or what they did for Nine Adar on the Nine Adar website. It says share, and and tell me why that's so important. Well, look, it, it's such an important component of spreading public awareness that if every school that's participating sends in their pictures of what they did and every um, art project or recipe or uh, conversation they might be having in somebody's uh, living room is sent in, it's going to help us in creating larger public awareness for the coming years. We're hoping to put together a Nine Adar movie uh, that would be able to capture all the different events that were going on and together actually spread more of this this uh, practice and these values of Mahlouk Hashem Shemayim. Well, I think that I'm going to be making, I'm not saying this to be funny, I'm honestly thinking I'm going to be making black and white cookies um, for Shabbos. A, because I like them. B, because the kids like them. But C, because metaphorically, they definitely work within the spirit of Nain Adar. Absolutely, absolutely. But again, check out the recipes for our machloket muffins and constructive chocolate cookies. They're amazing. Okay. <laughs> it just shows how very creative combination of opposites actually creates a better product. Oh, you know what? I'm all in. I'm married to a Republican, <laughs> so tell me I know all about it. Anyway, Rabbi Dr. Daniel Roth, the director of the Party Center for Judaism and Conflict Resolution, thank you for joining me. Again, everybody, check out the website 9adar.org. You should definitely participate. It's obviously a skill and a refresher that we all need in terms of positive, successful uh, conflict resolution. Rabbi Dr. Roth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. You've been listening to, the, to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. Thank you for making us part of a day. The lineup, ah, the lineup of the entire day. I am. This was a full show, Avram. This is a full show. I'm exhausted. I know you're exhausted also. I exhaust you. I exhaust the people around me. Anyway, full afternoon of programming. Nachum Siegel is in the house. The live lunch will start at 11 o'clock. 11 to 1, we start with brunch. We end with lunch. By the way, I'm the only person who used that tagline, but I like it a lot. We also have a brand new stunt show hosted by Daniel Gordon at 1 p.m. It's a full hour with the king of schlock, Lenny Solomon. It's a post-halftime show recap. It's a questions. It's answers. And it's all about Lenny. Daniel has great stories to share, questions for Lenny. I'm really looking forward to hearing the show at 1. And then starting at 2 p.m., Throwback Thursdays, Encoring J.M.A.M. from years past. That's a hoot. And Michael Fragan, spin class, 6 p.m., Charlie Burnout at 7, wrapping up the lineup. You want to tune in all day long. You make sure to join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts JM the AM live here on the stream. NachumSiegel.com, JMTheAM.org. And don't miss weekly update. That's Nachum and Malcolm. They start at around 7.40 in the morning. And, of course, Naomi in table for two. She is celebrating a year on the air. She has been doing a phenomenal job, and she has a wonderful show that takes place in her house. So check out Naomi's house tomorrow morning. You can see the video and, of course, the audio all on our website. Updated 2014 schedule is on the site as well. My thanks to all of my guests this week. My thanks also to Avram. And to anyone who has not already watched the Kosher Halftime Show, you can still watch it on our homepage, to be honest. And I am always honest. I've watched it more than 20 times. I listened to the audio. Yeah, I have. I'm telling you, Avram, don't make that face. I'm taking back the bagel. Um, I, I keep watching it. It's a fun show to watch. It's uh, good music. The guys sounded great. We actually spoke to Ari Boyanju yesterday. Just nice guys 
doing a great, great job. We've gotten wonderful feedback, and we're looking forward to next year already. I leave you today with Eighth Day's Hula. Legendary Destinations uh, is going to be hosting Eighth Day over Pesach, as well as Nahum and myself. Um, and a number of other people, and, and including Soul Farm. We're looking forward to all being together. There is an open house next Thursday, a week from a week from today at the Jewish Museum from about 5 to 8. You can check out all information on their website. We will be there. I hope you will be there, too. Anyway, 8 Days Hula coming up next. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. This time do me one favor Mitzvah liyot besimcha Shnayim ani yodaya When you share it, that's the flavor Mitzvah liyot besimcha This whole world spins on divine Nothing you could do when it's dancing time Tams, tams, take it, take it Hule, hule, hule Tams, tams, take it, take it This joy is blind to color, dark things like any other. It's valley you're You can dance the heavens open, just enough to slip some hope in. It's valley This show opens on the vine, and you can do when it's dancing time. Tams, tams, take it, take it. Hule, hule, hule. Tams, tams, take it, take